This is how we overcome the movement now. Here we come, reaching to the world with arms open, arms open, yeah. This is how we well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk and Merry Christmas, as we are still in the 12 days of Christmas. I'm Erica. I'm Steve. Merry Christmas still. And I'm Sarah. Merry Christmas. Indeed. Here in these delightful days of Christmas tide, we have special gifts to keep on giving you all Christmas tide long, <laughs> including in our ongoing, you know, since last week, uh, series on <laughs> stories of child Jesus. Um, we talk talked last time about how Matthew's gospel gives us the pretty familiar characters of the Magi uh, who bring gifts to the, I'm going to say, toddler Jesus, um, and that springboards Jesus to spend some amount of time as a refugee in Egypt, and uh, the the fallout that goes with that. Where are we headed today, Sarah? (laughs) So today we're going to be taking a look at the gospel of Luke. Specifically, Jesus's childhood. So the story is not of his birth, but maybe starting shortly after his birth when he is named and presented at the temple. And then, you know, just there's also a fascinating story of preteen 12 year old Jesus also at the temple. Uh, So we're going to focus there of Jesus's childhood in the gospel of Luke. And like we said last time, we would go to the other gospels for their stories about Jesus as a child, but they don't have any. We don't have anything from Mark or John. So these are our resources for stories of child Jesus. And the first set of stories in in Luke, as you mentioned, come pretty shortly after Jesus, you know, birth and the whole manger thing. He's like eight days old, right? Right. But I think I I know I wanted to include Jesus's naming and presentation at the temple because we don't include it in our Christmas Eve or Christmas Day services. Sure. Um, It occasionally lands in the two Sundays after Christmas. But also, let's be like if you're a lectionary preacher or your church has the lectionary that you're reading from. But let's be honest, we as pastors, we're so tired during the Christmas season that that's usually the time that we do weird things like have an excuse to have just Christmas carols. Yeah, Christmas carol at Hinsing or readings right. and carols or mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. We don't want to preach because we're tired. <laughs> so like it's one of those things that this does appear in the lectionary we might talk about it we might not it's going to depend on what else is going on yeah um but we wanted to talk about it today because this is such an important moment in every jewish baby's life and the lives of their parents yeah um that when especially boy babies Boy babies on their eighth day, though they've managed to live through that very first fragile week. And so now people are pretty sure, okay, this is a healthy baby. We're going to circumcise this baby and we are going to name this baby. And this baby is going to be welcomed into the chosen people of God. 
Like, so, it's a very big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and your way of framing it, like, it, it it's huge. I mean, there's ancient, ancient roots to this ritual. Like, back in the Torah, there are commandments about on the eighth day, you know, so this is not like a recent invention in the first century or something like mm-hmm. having a gender reveal party is a recent invention in our culture. This is ancient, ancient, ancient. Comes as a command from the Torah. And like you said, it's it's more than just um vague ambiguous dedication ceremony this is the child becomes a part of the covenant people they're named and circumcision is sort of that mark of you belong in the covenant and um your your identity is sort of given so yeah this is this is a big deal sort of a day maybe comparable to the way in traditions that baptize infants sort of see that is that like this is a day you uh join the community of the of of the the household of faith even though you're an infant yep you belong so it's got that that kind of half this is a special occasion and would have been something that happened like at the temple right in Mm -hmm. jerusalem right and being the firstborn he's dedicated to god Right. That every child, you know, every boy born is named and circumcised on the eighth day, no matter whether they're the first or the 15th child. Right. That's a lot of kids. I know. But, you know, the first is specifically dedicated to God. And so Jesus being Mary's first child yeah. um, has also that other special layer added into all of this. Yeah. And even that's a callback in the in the mm-hmm. Hebrew scriptures and the Torah. There's that your firstborn, you know, it's, and it's a reminder of because remember, I, you know, slayed the firstborn of Egypt and I protected you in the Passover. So it's one more sort of teaching moment for ancient Israel to remember their story of how God had set them free mm-hmm. from slavery in, in Egypt. So this big important moment was marked with not only the act of circumcision and the naming, but there's also sacrifices that are offered traditionally. And this is a curious detail that Luke adds as well, right? Yeah, because the sacrifice that is made for Jesus indicates the the wealth that Mary and Joseph have. Yeah. Which is say, basically not. Say more about that. <laughs> so they um, they offer up a sacrifice of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons which is the lowest level of sacrifice one can make for a firstborn son, right. you know, because it's based off of the wealth the family has, what they can afford. And that so goes back again can't afford much. to the commandments in the Torah, right? The Torah mm-hmm. says when you're going to dedicate your firstborn, you're, I think it's supposed to offer up what a lamb or something like that. And then there's this added line of if your family doesn't have the wealth to do that, if you can't afford that, offer two pigeons as well so like and luke just sort of sneaks that in and goes they offered two turtle doves as the the commandment or as the the law commanded um which might be luke's sort of subtle way of saying yeah jesus doesn't come from a rich rich family jesus comes from the the family that's you know on public assistance that took the bare minimum subsidized uh amount you Mm -hmm. know the, the 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 discount sacrifice was permitted yeah yeah um were you gonna say something sarah Well, so I think we've talked in years past that one of my Christmas traditions with my spouse is to watch, I think it's called the nativity story. It's the one Isaac uh, portrays Joseph. And in, in that movie, they blend Matthew and Luke together um, so that it it tells one cohesive story. Um, But there is this moment that's not in the Bible anywhere, but is this moment where Joseph and and the pregnant Mary are traveling into Bethlehem and the Herod's soldiers are keeping an eye out for them, like for a descendant of David to be going into Bethlehem to try to be a rabble rouser and 
um, when they get to Joseph and they search the donkey and like their possessions and they see how little they're carrying with them, like how little money and supplies and et cetera, um, they, they let them go and like, it's not him because they're again expecting this one from David's line to be this wealthy, powerful, mm-hmm. um, you know, somebody with a lot of like authority yeah. to be coming. And I think that this is such a nice moment, like very subtle moment where we see baby Jesus being so poor that his dedication sacrifice is these two small birds, um, that he's not somebody who's going to be coming from like a lot of power and authority in the ways that people are expecting a Messiah to have. Yeah. And for for Luke, who's giving us this story, and like we said, this is only a story that's found in Luke. To me, it's this beautiful continuation of the ideas you get in the pregnancy, like when Mary breaks into that song we call the Magnificat, and she sings about what God's doing in this child she's going to have. She talks about good news for the poor and the hungry being filled and the rich being sent away empty. Um, That like, and, and, it's 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 not wishful thinking. It's like yeah, in 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 her own life story, here's God favoring the poor and the nobodies and the forgettable people over the wealthy and the powerful. Um, so that it's it that that Mary's song isn't just um, empty talk, but like the the story fleshes that out. Yep, the 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 things that happen that unfold are are evidence that what she's singing about is true. And Matthew being such a, like, he really wants his gospel to be musical. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We get yet another song in this episode, um, right, of Jesus is presented at the temple, and he is then seen by this guy named Simeon, who takes him into his arms and, like, recognizes who Jesus is, and then breaks out into song. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a fantastic moment, but it's also very much, oh, Matthew, you definitely wanted this to be a musical. Right, right, right. Or, or Luke, rather, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, Luke, rather. Yeah, sorry, Luke. <laughs> but yeah, like, like those words, and again, like, it's interesting to me how, how over the centuries, the church has recognized how much of these moments, like Mary or Zechariah or now Simeon, feel like poetry, feel like a song, and have borrowed these words to be part of our liturgy. So that it's a long-standing mm-hmm. tradition that the words of Simeon become, Lord, now you let your servant go in peace. That's a sung part of liturgy in many traditions. Um, and that, uh, that, that, that's cool, not only in that we continue to sing those songs, but the, the, the words that Simeon s- sings or says or whatever he does there are um they're about like okay i see it too this is the this is the one that god has sent to be the savior of the world and we don't know how exactly but it had been made known to him by the holy spirit that he wouldn't die before (laughs) he got to see the messiah and so now somehow he knows um and and breaks into song saying okay now basically a song is okay i'm ready to die now because i've seen this this child uh, who's going to be not only hope for the people of Israel, but a light to all the nations. I have to imagine that that was probably a weird moment for Mary and Joseph. Like, yeah, they, they know who Jesus is, but they're not expecting everybody to know. And right. here is a rather elderly, probably frail looking man who comes up, asks to hold the baby and then breaks into either a song or uh, because like at least my English translation does say that he said this Mm -hmm. um but he like 
breaks out into this like, okay, I'm ready to die. And I imagine that if I was Mary, I would be kind of thinking, all right, can you give me back my baby? <laughs> right, right, right. In a culture like ours that teaches young children from an early age, don't talk to strangers. Here's Mary and Joseph. Here, here, hold this baby, random stranger. Uh, and yet again, like so part of the storytelling is this is okay. And somehow it's clear it's safe. This is all right. Um, and uh, while we don't get a song from Anna, there's another character named Anna or Anna who is there in the temple as well, who is named as like a prophet as well, um, who again, like sort of sees this moment happening um, and, and gives her approval that yet this, this moment is, is God keeping a promise that had been made a very, very long time ago. There's also something curious at the end of Simeon's I'll say moment mm -hmm. in the limelight mm -hmm. um, after, you know, saying all these lovely things about the child looks at Mary and says, and a sword will pierce your heart too. You know, this child is destined for the rising and falling of many and the sword will pierce your heart as well, which kind of like casts a pretty long shadow of the cross, you know, onto the, this, this moment with this happy young eight day old baby. Um, but it's a reminder that Jesus um, is not going to be universally cheered for and beloved, but there's going to be something heartbreaking about this story. And again, what do you know? Luke's going to tell us Mary's there at the cross, um, you know, her heartbreaking for the loss of her son at the end of the story, too. I wonder anytime I read the story and I love this story and it's a shame. And I know I'm not a lectionary preacher. It's a shame that we often don't get to the story because I think it's absolutely beautiful. Simeon and Anna. I wonder of all the people that were in the temple that day, you know, you see this family of three and this old guy comes up to them. This old prophetess comes up to them. Like how many people saw what was going on and wondered like, what is this all about? Or, right. or did they just go along and just with their normal day at the temple and just said, all oh, that just, you know, it's probably a relative or something. Right. You know, like how many people miss this? Right. But even if they missed it, we're told that Anna, at least, spent the rest of her life praising God and speaking about this child, speaking mm -hmm. about this experience to all who are looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. That, you know, and granted, she's 84 in the first century, so I'm not sure how much longer her life was, but that she, like, this experience changed her that mm -hmm. she now was speaking about this event and about the future because of this child and, and I kind of have to wonder how serious people took her at that yeah. point yeah right and I mean you think about it like Israel's ancient memory has some stories of people who are kind of introduced as the chosen one in their early childhood before they sort of ride like David has those childhood stories you know David and Goliath in those early moments and then later sort of becomes king but that's not usually how powerful people come to power you know usually you're recognized that you should be the rightful ruler when you just won the battle or when you take the crown mm -hmm. for yourself or that kind of thing um so there is something genuinely different and unique I think about how ancient Israel sort of has that hope of God sometimes has a way of tapping people to be leaders or or the important people God will work through even though again they don't have any of the hallmarks of power or military might or um you know credentials or anything like that it's almost more it's it's very clearly it's God says you're who I'm choosing I'll I'll put you in the right place not you're powerful I'll I'll work through you because you're powerful 
And like we mentioned last week, you know, Jesus wasn't born into power. You know, the wise men went to Herod to the palace, thinking that the next king would be obviously born in a palace. Yeah. This is just a peasant son, you know, um, doing what's called for by the law of Torah. Right, right, right. It's interesting to me that the next time we see Jesus in Luke's gospel, it's again back in the temple. Um, so that even though, as Luke tells us, after the scene when he's eight days old, they go back and live in Nazareth, um, he grows up and goes to the temple every year. But the next time we get a story about him, he's like 12 years old. And what do we know? We're back in this same place in the temple. Um, and now some things have changed. Now Jesus starts to have a speaking role. Um, and this is like maybe the closest we get to Jesus getting into something like trouble as a kid. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's good trouble uh, going to church extra maybe. Um, but but what, what, what goes on in this next scene that we get um, when Jesus is like 12 years old? So they're at the temple for Passover and the family's about ready to leave, go back to, to Nazareth and you know, they're probably in a large caravan of, you know, other family members, people traveling that same direction. And all of a sudden, Mary and Joseph start looking around. They're like, um, where's Jesus? <laughs> it's, this is like the origin story for Home Alone. <laughs> it's like, I, I thought he was with you. No, I thought he was with you. <laughs> right. And, you know, they, they search the whole caravan. They search amongst their family and friends. And then they, they go the whole way back to the temple and realize that he's been hanging out in the temple all along. And he, they find him talking with the other like religious leaders, right? Yeah. He's talking with the other religious leaders, learning from them. I think in a sense, almost teaching them, or at least they're surprised at how much he knows. Um, and then when his parents ask him, you know, well, why are you here? And he, he replies, well, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Yeah. And man, like, honestly, what, what a dig this is. Like, this is a weird moment for <laughs> Joseph, right? Um <laughs> Like the, 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 the wording is difficult. Like in, in uh, the, the late verses in Luke chapter two, Mary says, um, uh, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I've been searching for you in great anxiety. And then his answer, didn't you know I had to be in my father's like, like there is this, that the, the way those lines are delivered plays everything, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's because she uses the word father and Jesus sort of as like, he, you're not my real dad, um, uh, you know, and pulls back the, but no, my real father's house is here. Um, and again, like dropping hints or laying the groundwork for later on when Jesus in a fit of righteous indignation is going to start overturning tables you know in the last week of his life there at that temple saying you've made my father's house into a den of robbers and my father's house to be a you know a, a place of prayer for all peoples there's there's sort of the, the beginnings of that that connection that, that at least by 12 luke would have us believe jesus has some sense of his unique sonship and, and belonging to the god mm -hmm. of israel um that it's more rightful to call the temple his father's house than one, two, three Main Street in Nazareth where Joseph lives. This is one of my favorite stories, mostly because of like this age that we see Jesus at, right? Because he is 12, which is right around the time that Jewish boys would undergo their bar mitzvah. So he's almost considered an adult, yep. but not quite. And I think that we definitely get to see that with in the large caravan of family and friends, Mary and Joseph go an entire day without seeing him. 
right? Mm -hmm. And that's perfectly fine. Jesus is probably with the other 12-year-old boys, you know, those those almost adults, but they're not yet adults. They don't have wives or like those kind of family responsibilities yet. Um, like they're imagining that that's, that's where he is. And it's not until they stop for the night and they're expecting boy Jesus to like show up because he's hungry because he's 12 (laughs) and that's when they realize he's not there. And, you know, even with his response with Mary of, well, wouldn't you, don't like, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Like, again, what a, like, teenage boy thing to kind of say, right? Right. Like, right, right, right. You can just kind of see the angst and sarcasm. Like, I, I love seeing, like, because I think that this is a very human moment of a boy trying to fill the shoes that he knows that he has to. Yeah. But he's still not sure how to do it. Yeah. I, I, I so appreciate your your lifting that up that um because the other gospels like Mark and John just give us adult Jesus, it begs the question of how do how do we go from baby who knows nothing to adult human speaking as the son of God? And we can only kind of guess at some of that, except that a story like this sort of gives us that, like, well. He had some kind of awareness, but he's clearly not, you know, um, he's, he's, he's not he's not ready for prime time yet. Um, but th- there's some awareness of this special relationship that, that the temple is his father's house. Um, and, and seeing that increasing sort of awareness, self I mean, like that's part of what it is to be 12 or 13 is you're figuring out who you are. And in like an ontological sense, Jesus is trying to figure out who he is, um, not just what clubs or interests or hobbies, but like, oh my goodness, I'm the divine Messiah. It also makes you wonder whether he grew up hearing the reminiscences of, hey, did we ever tell you about what happened in the temple when you're eight days old? Luke is one who will occasionally draw pints and say, and Mary held on to these stories and ponder them in her heart, mm-hmm. you know, like Mary didn't forget. Um, and you have to think that um, uh, a mom who can sing a song or pray a prayer like the Magnificat would have told Jesus that that's what God is like as he's grown up, that in some sense, Mary teaches Jesus how to be the Messiah, even just in what she teaches him about who God is as he's grown up. But that here, there's sort of that still figuring it out. He knows things that people are impressed at his knowledge, but also he's not quite there yet. And, and this story is bookend by, by these verses, you know, in chapter, in verse 40, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. And then we get the story of Jesus in the uh, boy, Jesus in the temple. And then in verse 52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. Mm -hmm. So like this is bookending that this story of boy Jesus trying to figure it all out. Yeah. And like you say, it gives us a sense of the humanity of Jesus. Not, Not to say that that means he's not the divine son of God, but to say at the one at the same time, he's human and being human means that growth through time. And like, that's not, not something to be ashamed of or apologize for. It's not sinful to learn or grow in wisdom and years, but that realization that that means Jesus being the full son of God is born into the world, not knowing how to 
walk or speak or read and has to learn all those things as well as to learn how to be the son of God and how to be the savior and be the Messiah. And that learning isn't something we need to apologize for or be embarrassed about, but to say, yeah, that's the, what it is to confess a human being is also the son of God means God's willing to show up in this learning human being who grows and develops and um, gets wiser. Maybe learns also when to restrain the sass to his mom. <laughs> I don't know because never mind. I'm thinking of the wedding at Cana. Uh, <laughs> he does get a little bit sassy there too, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe just a little. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes that teenage sass is hard to get be done with. You know, I'm I'm in my 30s. I occasionally sass my mom. Mm-hmm. We all do I, it. I I. I I'm a little bit um, loath to uplift the wisdom of random internet memes, but um, I recently saw somebody share, I think it was somebody who's, who's raising a, a toddler, either a child or a grandchild, but they shared something that was like, um, uh, every parent you know, struggles with the kid who talks back when you wish they would just say, yes, mom, yes, dad. But then the, the meme goes on to say something like, um, but maybe these are the kids who grow up and who um, won't take injustice, not for themselves, not for their friends, not for strangers, because they want things to be right in the world. And I guess I think mm-hmm. that I don't, I don't want to say that gives um, freedom for all kids to be disrespectful to their parents as someone who would like my children to be respectful all around all the time. Um, but there is something like, it's, it's not like Jesus is, um, you know, doing doing something wrong or illegal here. It's not like Jesus is out spray painting, you know, graffiti or, um, you know, in with a bad crowd and beating up other kids. Jesus is in the temple listening and talking to other mm-hmm. teachers and sort of says, this is where I'm supposed to be right now. Um, that w- whatever his tone is with his mom um, and presumably with Joseph as well, that it's, it's, it's not like they've caught him doing something bad and Jesus has to apologize or, you know, breaking Mr. Wilson's window with his baseball or something. This is, I was in the temple talking about the will of God. This is how I learned. So um, Luke gives us these sort of hints about where the story is going to be going uh, for adult Jesus. And the temple is going to be important for, for Jesus uh, in adulthood in Luke's gospel as well. Are there other things in Luke's retelling of childhood Jesus or tween Jesus that uh, would be helpful for us to hold on to or to know? I was going to say, I think maybe it's just the idea that, and we, we've brought it up before in this episode, um, you know, that Jesus didn't know everything, you know, that Jesus did come as a baby, that he did have to learn things, um, even though he's the son of God and it's God himself, you know, it, I think for me, that's just a sense that like, I need to keep learning. There's things that I don't know mm-hmm. and will never know. Um, and so if Jesus has to learn things as a, as a child and a teen and preteen, you know, um, then there's probably stuff I still need to keep on learning too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's helpful then to, to see Jesus humanity gives us permission to be human as well. That like yeah. as much, as much as it's also true to say Jesus is the object of our worship and Jesus teaches us what God is like. Jesus also shows us what it is to be human. Um, and if, if, if we take that seriously, that also means, yeah, like you say, we have permission to learn and it's important for us to be able to, yeah, show the places where, where we've grown and learned things and that 
growing from a place of immaturity to maturity is is good that that's part of what it is to be human is that kind of growth and that that's also part of what jesus has gone through as well it gives us that permission as well yeah because when we look at adult jesus even in his teaching moments not even looking at his miracles but his teaching moments we see him as this greatly wise person um which is true but you know that wisdom came from somewhere yeah yeah you know, yeah um he wasn't born with that well, he was and he wasn't born with that wisdom I, I, yeah I, I think that's important because and and if all we had were say mark's gospel and john's gospel we might fall into that temptation and go oh yeah. jesus beamed down to earth you know ready to unload the sermon on the mount and that was his rough draft was the sermon on that he knew it, it was all perfect from the beginning um but instead yeah there's clearly places where jesus himself has to get sort of reoriented and centered i mean you even think about how often adult jesus will go off by himself to pray and then sort mm-hmm. of come back down okay here's a game plan everybody i don't think it's so much that he was going to make a bad or wrong decision without that but more like that he had this need for all right i need to get clarity what's the next move what's the next step um and even to see the the times like in the wilderness as kind of that formative getting clarity of what am i about who am i how am i going to operate in the world and that that's different than I must go because it's been prophesied. I must be in there for 40 days, but more like Jesus has that. That's a crucible for Jesus getting the clarity to know what he's about and what he's supposed to do. And again, like that's okay for us in those times in our lives where we need that clarity where, or even where we can say I've matured. I used to think this and now I think this, or I used Mm to uh, believe this and now I've grown in my maturity this way. I used to kind of have a shallow thinking about this. And now I feel I'm more honest or more mature with this. I think that's an important piece of our own faith journeys too. So all those things are details that maybe are helpful for us to hold on to in this season as we're running out of Christmas tide, but speeding along to what the church calls the season of Epiphany. Uh, and next time we're going to pick up with uh, new possibilities and what Epiphany is all about or how we get introduced to Jesus there. Um, but for today, we hope you've enjoyed conversation here, digging into these details uh, in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel about child Jesus. Thanks for being with us here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.